mindful of those around us. Uh, Lord, may we learn to wholeheartedly embrace the truth of it, to stand strong and be steadfast in it. And Father, that not only will we uh, live by example the truths of it, but we will be also bold to proclaim it and to teach the generation to come uh, the mighty works of our God and His truth, His Word. And Father, I pray that you would guide and direct our steps. Give us doors of opportunity. Give us the boldness to take advantage of them and the sensitivity to the leading of your Holy Spirit to know and understand when those opportunities arise. I pray that you'll bless in others uh, this morning a number of unspoken requests and burdens on the hearts of so many people and even just this week and dealing with other folks uh, even outside of our church with spiritual matters and problems they're dealing with and going through. Uh, Father, guide and direct, we pray. Give grace where it's needed and uh, lift them up, strengthen them for the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, finish up a few things in Proverbs, and then we're going to move on into Ecclesiastes. We didn't quite get through uh, our survey of Proverbs last week. Uh, Proverbs is written, uh, we, we give pretty strong evidence of the fact that Solomon was responsible for the vast majority of it. Um, <coughs> the last uh, five chapters, chapter 25 through 29, uh, excuse me, uh, or towards the end of the book, excuse me, were uh, compiled and collected by Hezekiah. We still believe that Solomon was the author of many of them, but Hezekiah was more than likely the one, and his scribes were the ones to collect them and put them together. We talked a little bit last week uh, about the divisions of the book and the author of the book and uh, kind of the time period it was written in, those types of things. And so I want to spend a few moments on uh, how Christ is pictured in Proverbs. And we'll look a little bit at that, and then we're going to look at some of the keys to Proverbs and um, give you some just final, uh, just kind of miscellaneous notes that may be a help to you as you come to these books. Uh, the purpose of these overviews, these, these surveys of the book, is to help us to have a little better understanding of the time, the history, the culture of the day that was uh, the setting for the writings of these things, who they were written to, who they were written by. Uh, and it helps us to understand a little better uh, as we read it uh, knowing those things, it helps us to have a little better understanding of what is being dealt with and why it's being dealt with <coughs> and how it can apply to our lives. And so hopefully these will be a help to you. Let's take our Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 8, if you will. Uh, Proverbs chapter number 8. Um, Solomon takes the first eight chapters or so to instruct his son directly. He's speaking... Um, specifically to him and trying to give him words of wisdom. And in chapter number 8, uh, we find one of the great um, analogies as, as Solomon uh, puts this thing in the, in the words and in the word picture and he personalizes or brings um, a personality to the idea of wisdom. He personifies it and talks about its, its graces and its virtues. And uh, let's look a little bit into chapter number 8. Uh, in verse number 1, it says, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places, uh, of high places by the way of the paths of the path, uh, places of the paths. She crieth at the gates of the entry of the city, and coming in at the doors, Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men, uh, man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. And so he kind of personifies wisdom. He has wisdom do a dialogue here express the desire for wisdom to be imparted to the hearts of men. 
And so when it comes to this idea of picturing Christ in Proverbs, sometimes you look at it and say, well, I don't know if I can see Christ pictured specifically in Proverbs. But the truth is that the source of uh, any wisdom is from God. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And so the wisdom that is spoken of here by Solomon is not the wisdom of the world, but is the wisdom that comes only from God Himself. And there is a distinction between the two. Uh, the wise of this world, the Bible says, are foolish in the eyes of God. Uh, in fact, the, the, uh, the more men think they are wise, the more foolish they become, it seems. And we're living in a day where certainly that is pictured and seen. Uh, wisdom is considered here, as we look down to verse number 8, chapter number 8 and verse number 8, if you'll look down there with me. Wisdom is pictured here. The Bible says, all the words of my mouth, because this is wisdom speaking here now. He's personified it. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. And so again, we see this idea of wisdom personified, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ in the area of uh, not only the wisdom that comes from God Himself, but in righteousness, in this idea of godly wisdom is a wisdom that tends to lead itself and to promote itself as a wisdom toward righteousness and toward morality and toward the holiness of God. Uh, look also in verse number 32, if you will. Now, therefore, hearken unto me. Again, this is wisdom speaking. If you can picture this, you know, Solomon speaking uh, for wisdom, on the behalf of wisdom. He says, Now, therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor uh, of the Lord. And so we find that this uh, wisdom, not only does it picture righteousness and morality and the wisdom of God, but it is available to all men. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the fact that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ makes salvation available to all men. But when it comes to this thing of wisdom, Solomon says that this is available also to all men. They, they need simply just to come to Him. Uh, hold your place here in Proverbs for a moment. Turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Colossians, chapter number 2. Colossians, chapter number 2. <clears throat> and uh, let's look in uh, verse number 3. Colossians, chapter 2. <clears throat> and verse number 3. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, if, and you can read uh, the ver first two verses if you'd like to to understand who we're speaking of here. And verse number uh, 3, the Bible says, "...in whom," speaking of Christ, "...in whom are hid all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge." And so when, when uh, Solomon speaks here uh, of wisdom... Uh, in the book of Proverbs, there is a wonderful picture here, a wonderful parallel that is drawn between the wisdom of Proverbs and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so some people would read Proverbs and say, well, I just don't see uh, Christ specifically mentioned uh, in Scripture in the, in the Proverbs. And yet the truth is uh, we find that there are very vivid pictures of it. Uh, also turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and we'll take a look here in verse number 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 30. 
But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of, who of God is made unto us, what? Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so again, uh, just a wonderful parallel drawn between the wisdom spoken of in chapter 8 of Proverbs and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So when we talk to young people and we share chapter 8 of Proverbs with them and we're talking about wisdom, and they come to me and say, okay, I see it's personified, I see the benefit of wisdom, where do I find wisdom? We have the answer, don't we? We find the wisdom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their wisdom will come as they deepen their relationship and their walk with God. And we need to understand that, not just for young people, but you and I need to understand this. Uh, when we cry out to God and ask for wisdom, we're asking, in essence, to have more of Him involved in our life. We're yielding more of our hearts to Him and saying, Lord, I want Your will, Your way to be done in my life. And we're seeking for His wisdom, not ours, not the wisdom of the world. And uh, the wisdom of the world is going to get us nowhere uh, except uh, destruction and sadness and sorrow and the consequences of sin, which are not obviously seen at the beginning of sin, but will always be uh, revealed at the end of the sin. And um, then we have uh, three uh, key things to look at here in Proverbs. The key word is wisdom. The, three, uh, the uh, key word of Proverbs is wisdom. Look in Proverbs 1 for a moment. And uh, Proverbs actually tells us what its purpose is right at the get-go. This is unlike other books of the Scripture. Uh, in fact, if, I, if I'm correct on this, and I believe I am, I believe Proverbs is the only book of Scripture that states its purpose right at the onset. And uh, let's look in verse number 1. The Bible says, "...the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion." A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. And to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. That is the purpose of the book of Proverbs. So um, our key word here being wisdom is to help us to understand and to seek wisdom, to know uh, the importance of it, to impart moral discernment, the ability to... Uh, know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, um, the ability to uh, develop uh, mental clarity with regards to daily living and uh, to have the right uh, worldview, if you will. Um, I wasn't going to bring this passage um, to this uh, thing, but let's look in Hebrews 5 for a moment. Um, didn't have this one in the notes, so you might want to write this verse down. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 5 for a minute. And uh, let's start in verse number um, verse number 11. Let's go to verse number 10. Um, speaking here of Christ and His role of high priest and uh, along these lines, he says, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's referring here to the Lord Jesus Christ in this particular case. Of whom, meaning Christ, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as are as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He speaks here of the fact that there are some that have been saved long enough, that have had their faith in the Lord long enough, that they ought to be full-grown 
uh, Christians. They ought to be Christians who are able to teach others at least the basics of the Scriptures, the first oracles of God, the things that are foundational to the Christian life. And he says, there are some of you that uh, I want to teach you more about Christ, but he said, I can't do that because you're dull of hearing. Your hearts are hardened. He says, some of you should be there, but you have need of milk and not strong meat. And we, we know and understand the illustration he's using here of an infant not being able to take strong meat. He has to be on the milk of uh, the mother until they're weaned from that and begin to eat more and more substantive food. Then they move on to semi-solid foods and then solid foods. Unless you lived in my household, and my dad started feeding my kids steak the first week they were home from church, uh, from the hospital, but that was the way my dad was. Uh, he'd mush it up and feed them steak. Be like, oh, shut up, Greg. They're fine. Eat them. And they'd eat it. But uh, the truth is, um, there's, there's a, a problem with stunted growth spiritually here that's being referred to. Now, notice what he says here in verse number 14. He says, but strong me belongeth, notice who it says it belongs to, to them that are of full age, even those who by what? Reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If there's not use of the doctrine of God's Word in our life, we will have a warped view of, of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And we see that happening all over the world today, all over our country especially, and even people who name the name of Christ having a warped sense of morality because for reason of use, they're still on the milk of the Word and they're not able to handle the strong meat of the Word yet. Um, Very important that we understand this. And so uh, the purpose of Proverbs is to help us in this area. It helps to to wean us, if you will, off of the milk of the Word and teach us things very practically, uh, very straightforward. Uh, These are things a Christian needs to know. How to live their life. How to live it in the wisdom of God and pleasing Him. And so Proverbs is a tremendous book. We, as a young youth pastor, I used to teach our young people read a proverb a day. I'll be frank with you, I try to get adults to do it. Because we need the things in Proverbs as much, if not more so, than the young people of our day. Especially in the day that we're living in. And so I would encourage you, many of the the Proverbs after chapter number 8, chapters 1 through 7, there's a lot of narrative there. But after chapter number 8, they're almost single-sentence sermons, sometimes two or three sentences together, or verses together. Um, And uh, they're very, very helpful. They're written in such a practical way that they say this will be the right thing and is pleasing to God, and then it will state the opposite. And to displease Him or to be something that is wrong or sinful or evil, do this. And so it talks very clearly. It shows both sides of the coin uh, in what is right and what is wrong. I would say that by reading Proverbs, it's like working out in the gym physically when it comes to our discernment between good and evil. It helps us to understand there's a workout there, a spiritual workout that comes, I believe, and I don't mean to, to, to humanize or make little of the Holy Word of God here, but I believe that Proverbs fills that role spiritually of giving us that exercise spoken of in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, uh, of being able to discern between good and evil. It, it would be good for our society today to have a healthy dose of reading, and trusting in and believing every word of the book of Proverbs. It would change our society today if men and women would do that. And uh, 
I was dealing with uh, some issues this week and uh, talking to a family having some issues and some problems and sitting at their dining room table, they pulled a book out and they said, we've been reading this book. And I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying books are bad, but they're written by a man and that is not an authority. I said, what we need to do is come back to something that we know to be an authority and do it this way. After we do it this way, if you want to read what some man has in his idea or his mindset of that, it may or may not be helpful to you, that's fine, but don't base the problem solving on a book. And we, we do that a lot. There are so many self-help, Christian self-help books out there. Everybody's saying, I've got the answer in my book. Uh, the answer's in this book right here. We don't need the other books. I'm thankful there are some out there that do encourage us, and I'm not opposed to reading other books. Just don't make them the foundation of your belief system. They are not the answers to our questions. This book here is. And uh, so make sure that you're very careful in those things. Proverbs is a great book in this area. The key verses are found in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, uh, ending with, and we read already 5 and 6, the seventh verse saying, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The other key verse I think that's very helpful in Proverbs 3, is in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And for many years, this has been a verse that if I, somebody ever asked me to sign something and I put a verse of Scripture with it, this is the passage I've always put uh, for many, many years. It has been so helpful in my life personally. It's, it's helped me to avoid mistakes. It's helped to guide me in times I did not know what the direction was that I should go. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. What a promise to lean on. What a tremendous truth of Scripture. And uh, certainly a, a blessing. The, uh, the key chapter of Proverbs, uh, uniquely, is uh, most people agree it to be uh, Proverbs 31, which talks about the virtuous woman. And we find pictured in the virtuous woman a culmination of all of the teachings of previous Proverbs. And so you'll find the virtues of this virtuous woman are, are results or the culmination of, these are the attributes that are produced by living the Proverbs that are found in this book. And uh, it's a wonderful chapter. If you've not read it, it would do you well, even men, it'd do you well to read it. Because although it is dealing with the virtuous woman in this case, it shows the attributes of obeying the Proverbs and the teachings of this book. And uh, so I think that would be a big help to us sometimes if we would read that even as men. All right, um, just a couple of things here. There are six uh, pretty natural segments to the book. I'm going to give them to you quickly, and then I will. You don't have to worry about writing them down if you don't want to. I've got these notes available today. They'll be back there after the Sunday school hour. But chapters one through uh, uh, verses one through seven deal with the purpose of the book. We just spent time reading those. Chapters one through eight, all the way through chapter nine, uh, chapter one and verse eight through chapter nine and verse eighteen are Proverbs that are directed towards youth specifically or simple ones. Uh, towards youth or simple ones. So this could be uh, not so much a youth in age, although primarily I believe that's who Proverbs was, deal was dealing with, but I believe also youth in the area of spiritual maturity. And so again, just a tremendous uh, set of Proverbs to read, especially if you're young in the faith and growing 
And it doesn't hurt us even as mature Christians to go back and reread them by way of remembrance. Um, chapter 10 and all the way through chapter 24 is, are the Proverbs of Solomon. They're referred to as the ones that he specifically wrote, compiled, and put together. Chapter 25 through chapter 29, many of them were written by Solomon, they believe. They're pretty certain of that. But they were compiled by, they weren't, com- they weren't put into the same book that Solomon did. These were compiled by Hezekiah's scribes and placed in the book of Proverbs that Solomon had already begun. Um, chapter number 30 uh, is uh, the words of Agur, and chapter number 31 are the words of Lemuel. So we know at least two other sources uh, of these. And uh, a lot of people believe that Lemuel uh, is a reference, another name, uh, and that Solomon himself was the one who wrote chapter 31. There's not a lot of proof to that end. It's just mostly something that a lot of people uh, say or agree to. So if you look at that and you say, I don't think that is Solomon, that's fine because there really isn't a whole lot of proof to show that it is. Um, but there is a lot of uh, tradition, a lot of things in the Jewish heritage where they attribute that chapter to, to Solomon in many cases. So uh, just to kind of let you know that. So that brings us to the end of Proverbs. Um, great, great book, I'll tell you. It's just uh, one of those things that you can read every month. And I did for many, many years read through it uh, chapter by chapter, uh, one chapter a day. And uh, it's a book that I'll promise you this, you can read through uh, from start to finish. And when you get done, start it again and do it again and do it again until the Lord comes back. And you will not exhaust the wisdom nor the truth from it. And um, it's just a wonderful book. By the way, it's amazing that the Bible in, in its entirety is that way as well. We don't ever exhaust the truth. We never get to the place where we've found all the truth that there is to find in Scripture. Uh, in fact, I'll be frank with you. The older I get, the more I realize we have barely scratched the surface of it. Um, you get to the place ever uh, in your life where you, the more you study it, the more you learn about it, the more you realize there's so much of it I don't know. You ever feel that way? Uh, it happens, doesn't it? And when we're younger and we kind of start reading it and reading it regular and it starts making an impact on our lives, we think, boy, I've got all this knowledge of it and, oh, wow, I've almost got it conquered. And then the more we grow, the more we realize, wow, I haven't even begun digging into the depths of it. A supernatural book. What an amazing Bible we have in our hands. All right, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse number 1, it begins with the words of the preacher. And uh, the preacher here, we're almost positive, uh, is referring to Solomon. There are very few people that deny that. For a couple of reasons, there are some external evidences that are given from other sources and other writings that were written during the time that these would have been compiled that give, uh, they attribute the the, the, uh, Ecclesiastes to Solomon. Um, but you'll notice here in verse number 1, the Bible says uh, the, that the preacher was the son of David, and then it makes this phrase, king in Israel. The only son of David that was king in Israel. Now, there were some other sons of David that were king in other places. The only one that was son of uh, David that was king in, in, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem, I said in Israel, in Jerusalem was Solomon. He's the only one that reigned there. Uh, from from the time after Solomon, the line of David then extends to um, the other kingdom uh, and is not 
in Jerusalem, and so they don't sit on that throne in Jerusalem. So uh, we believe this to be Solomon specifically uh, because of that statement. Uh, there's also some other evidences in that Ecclesiastes follows after almost, almost identical, the same style of writings as the Proverbs were. Uh, there's a very, a very close tie and similarity to the way that they were written. And so, again, just a, a commonality there that seems to point to the fact that uh, Solomon is the author, and I, I don't think that there's any, uh, any man of any uh, knowledge at all of this that would deny that. Uh, there are a few guys out there, I think, that uh, try to just cast doubt on some things of Scripture that come out with some other things. But for the most part, we believe that Solomon is the one who wrote it. <clears throat> the word Ecclesiastes is a unique word. It comes from, the etymology of it is from a Greek word, actually, uh, ekklesia, which is where we get our word church from. It's translated in our King James Bible as uh, church. And uh, the form that is used here is the one that gathers the church or the one that gathers the assembly, if you will. Uh, and so it's dealing here specifically with the preacher, which is why oftentimes, if you, in your Bibles, you may have at the title of the book, it may say Ecclesiastes, and then underneath it, some of your Bibles will say, or preacher. Um, the reason is, that's what that word means. So, it's one of these untranslated words in our King James Bible, because it was the title of the book. Um, so, but that, if you're wondering, well, what does Ecclesiastes mean? That's a weird word. Uh, that's what it means. It means the preacher. And they do uh, translate it correctly in verse 1. Of course, King James Bible is always translated rightly. And so we use the Bible itself to help understand these things. So you don't need a, a Greek uh, study to know these things. Uh, you can simply understand that they've been translated by men who did know and were aided by God in the translation work to bring the right words to bear in the English language. Um, the main focus of the book is the futility, the, the Bible word that is used here, the vanity. The vanity of um, trying to be happy in life or what life's purpose is, life itself. The vanity of life and the key phrase here being under the sun. When you read Ecclesiastes, one of the difficult things, if you don't understand the point that uh, Solomon is observing these things from, uh, you'll begin to think that Solomon was a man who was hopelessly discouraged with life and had um, no joy, no, um, no purpose. He was just an empty, wandering man. Yeah, he was the wisest man who lived. He was blessed by God. He helped Israel get to the pinnacle of all that it has ever been, the highest point that it has ever been in wisdom, in, in influence, in power, in wealth, in every other way, in prosperity. And uh, so it's very important that we understand that when we read this, and it, if you're not careful, you'll read it, and, and the further you read along, the more your heart just sinks. It's like, boy, this guy, is, he's throwing water on, raining on my parade here. He's talking about how, how vain life is, how empty it is, how without purpose it is. But understand, he's speaking of it from a perspective of without God. These are things that are done under the sun. If you take life... Without God, there is no purpose in it. By the way, one of the reasons that our world is in the condition it's in today is because we have taught young people and raised them up to be adults that God is not a part of life 
And when God is not a part of life, the book of Ecclesiastes teaches it very well, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. No wonder our world does not value life. No wonder the suicide rates are so high in our country. People that, young people, teenage suicides, kids who ought to have their whole life before them, feeling like life is empty, there's no purpose for it. I was talking to a fellow just this week. He's going through some difficult times in his life. And he said, you know, I've just been praying whether I should just go ahead and end it all. And I said, brother, that is not the answer. Under the sun it may seem that way, but there is great value that God puts into a life. And so the, 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 the gist of the book deals with this vanity, this vexation of spirit that is found under the sun, not, not in the presence of God, not with God being a vital and an important part of the life. Uh, he deals with every aspect. So Solomon doesn't leave, I look at it and I think of it this way, he doesn't leave any stone unturned when it comes to things he tried in life to find fulfillment in and found out it was empty without God. He deals with issues of power. He deals with issues of um, uh, popularity, pre- uh, prestige, and, and influence. He even goes so far as to try everything he can under the sun that is pleasurable. He's tried everything. He's had, he's had the wealth. He's had the, uh, the affluence. He's had the power. Uh, he's had every aspect you could ever think of in life. And at the end of all of them, his conclusion is, all is vanity. Every bit of it. When it's done under the sun, there is nothing to fill. And I like what one author put it. He said this way. He said, there's nothing to fill the God-shaped hole in our hearts except God Himself. You can try to fill it with all sorts of things, and people do. And you'll find some of the most miserable people. I remember Daryl Strawberry. Some of you remember him as a baseball player a number of years ago became the first man to get a contract for a million dollars in the, in the Major League Baseball. One of the top players. Two years after he signed that million-dollar deal, they did an interview with him. It was on primetime TV. I think it was 60 Minutes or something like that. And in talking with him, sitting there across, they were asking about his life and personal things. And he made this statement. I remembered hearing him say it at the night that he did it. He said, I am the most miserable person on the face of the earth. I mean, people looked at Daryl Strawberry and said, here, here he is, a famous baseball player, one of the best in the, in the game at the time. He has everything going for him. People know him. Everywhere he goes, people are, are wanting his autograph, and they, they look to him for influence. He's got all of his material needs met. Back then, a million dollars went a lot further than it does today. This man was well set financially and physically and spiritually, or every other way except spiritually. And he looked the camera and he looked the interviewer in the eye and he said, I am the most miserable person on the face of the earth. There's no one more miserable than me. And we all understand, if you know much about his history at all or knew about him, you'll know some of the the demons and some of the battles he faced later on and some of the problems he got himself into. You know why? Because there was no purpose. All of it was vanity. All of it was vexation of spirit. Um, Solomon tries everything. He tries power. He tries having influence. Uh, he tries pleasure. He tries wealth and just not, not, not holding anything back. 
I mean, you read through Ecclesiastes, it's pretty vivid about some of the things he tried. He said, I got to the end of it all and found that there was, there was nothing but vanity there. It was just, just nothing. No substance, no joy, no peace, no purpose. And as you read through Ecclesiastes, your first inclination is, wow, I better quit reading this book or I'm going to go out and want to commit suicide. This sounds terrible. But you've got to finish the book. If you want to know what the rest of the book says, you have to come back next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock because we're out of time. Take some time to read it this week. This is a fantastic book. But don't get so depressed in the first part of it. Because Solomon comes to a conclusion at the end of it that is one of the most glorifying truths of all of Scripture. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Let's go ahead and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, we're thankful for its wisdom. We're thankful for its truth. Lord, how it guides us, how it teaches us and directs our lives. And Father, helps us to... Uh, be pleasing to You. helps us to be more of what we ought to be. Lord, may we be folks that hunger and thirst for it, that desire to know Your Word, to study it, 